Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode number six of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this show every other Wednesday at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, also weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, and on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, any of those places that aggregate podcasts, you'll be able to find us there. Now today is a special episode because we're going to be discussing our first listener request. Uh, listener Patrick Kotenberg wanted me to discuss DC Universe Rebirth number 1 from 2016. Now that was a post that I made on uh, chrisoninfiniteearths.com over on March 5th, 2017, and it was actually my 400th post. Now, uh, something I don't usually talk about is the fact that uh, over the first month and a half uh, that I did the blog, I... Uh, it wasn't everyday reviews. Uh, there was a post there every day, uh, to be sure, but uh, some of them were, you know, uh, reports on my trip to the bins or just some discussion of the news of the day. It wasn't until probably about 45, 50 days in where I realized that I wanted to just do uh, reviews every day. I figured that was a better use of uh, my time and a better <laughs> demand on a reader's time. Uh, I figure it's just as easy to do a... Uh, hey, look what I found at the bins on Twitter or on Instagram or something. So uh didn't really warrant an entire blog post. But one of the things that I did talk about was uh, my preliminary thoughts on Rebirth. Uh, Rebirth was announced uh, early March of 2016. And uh, like many of the other folks in the blogosphere, I decided to give my two cents uh, when we had very, very little information, but just a, a preliminary thought. And so on February 20th, 2016, I wrote the following. I said, although I normally focus on relatively older DC comics, I figured I may as well join in the chorus of Rebirth announcement takeaways. No real rhyme or reason to these ramblings, just emptying out my head. I guess I'll start with my two biggest surprises that came from this announcement. First, the return to legacy numbering for both Action Comics and Detective Comics, which will resume their pre-Flashpoint numbering this June. Action Comics with issue 957, Detective Comics with issue 934. I know that in the grand scheme of things, this should not be a big deal. But it is. To me, anyway. I really can't explain it too eloquently. It just makes the series, the title feel more, I don't know, alive to me. I'm a big back-issue guy, and it was always more satisfying to pick up books for a series that still had its quote-unquote real numbering. Being able to reflect back knowing that in June, when I pick up issue 957 of Action Comics, that it has a history going back over 75 years just feels right. I continue to say, This was actually on my post-convergence wish list. I was hoping these two titles would return to their real numbering, and follow the pre-Flashpoint DC Universe versions of Superman and Batman, while keeping the Superman and Batman titles remaining New 52-centric. And then I say, for all I know, this very well may be the direction they're looking to explore this summer. Of course, that was not at all the direction they were going to explore in the summer of 2016. I continue to say, the second biggest surprise is the price rollback. Redrawing the line at $2.99 is great. Now, I know that many of these books will be bi-weekly and will ultimately be, playing, be paying $6 per month for each of these titles. However, when bits and pieces of this started to leak out, the bi-weekly schedule was already a part of it. I feared that titles like Action Comics, Batman, and Green Lantern would remain at $3.99 and also go bi-weekly. 
So I suppose this is more of a relief than anything. This appears to be very good customer service move, as well as perhaps something of an acknowledgement that the $3.99 price point is just too high for a new or lapsed reader to embrace. Continuing, I said, What I wasn't so surprised about was the aforementioned bi-weekly release schedule for many of the books, as well as relaunching the rest of the line at yet another number one. The bi-weekly thing I could really do without, though I suppose I understand where they're coming from. I hate to think of what this may do to creative teams. I'm doubtful that an artist can put out their top-quality work consistently under such a schedule. Perhaps they'll implement rotational art chores. I'm guessing they'll have to, and of course, they did. I continue to say I do, I do miss long creative team runs on books. Right now, the closest thing we have is Snyder and Capullo on Batman. Restarting the numbering on some 30 titles is a bit irritating. I've always disliked this practice, going back as far as the Heroes Reborn event from Marvel. I hate tossing out the old volume for some short-term gain. It bugs me that we'll be on volume 3 of Batman come June. I hope there's a legitimate reason for the renumbering, however, I am doubtful. The titles all announced all seemed quite interesting. DC does not seem to be exploring any experimental titles at, or right, right off the bat. I think this is a good idea for the launch. The titles given will hopefully provide a workable foundation for which to build upon. When the New 52 was launched, we had titles like Resurrection Man, Voodoo, Omac, and Mr. Terrific. These were going to be challenging sells to a potential new or even seasoned reader. If those titles were launched, say, a year into the New 52, potentially after the characters had already been introduced, they may have found a wider audience. I was going to go blow by blow for each title, however, with the limited information we have currently, it would likely be a waste of everyone's time. Now, I am pleased with the news, however, I cannot say that I'm 100% optimistic about Rebirth. I'm excited, and I really can't wait to see how things pan out. However, there is something I just can't shake. During the interview, Jeff Johns mentions that this has been in the works for a long while. If that's truly the case, why did we just go through Convergence? If this is to be a remelding of the classic and contemporary DC universes, Convergence would have been the most opportune time to pull that trigger. The fact that they didn't and announced Rebirth six or seven months later makes me question how much forethought is being, or has been, put into this. I just hope that this is a better planned launch story-wise than the New 52 was. There were so many unanswered questions in late 2011, questions that remained unanswered because I don't think even the creators or editorial had those answers. Most everything felt just so thrown together. It felt like the heart had been pulled out, leaving us with just empty characters. I have high hopes that this will not be the case this summer, and DC Comics will successfully bring their classic legacy into the contemporary market. Now, that's some high-quality podcasting right there, having some dude read to you. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely wanted to uh, give my preliminary thoughts, just to show that, uh, you know, we just didn't know what to expect when this book hit. And uh, we knew it was going to be big. Uh, we knew that it was going to shake the foundations of at least the DC universe, if not, you know, the industry for a little while, uh, with the bi-weekly schedule and uh, dropping the price down to two ninety nine. I know at least I was hopeful that maybe some of this would rub off on uh, other companies in the comics industry. Maybe uh, maybe bring down those prices a little bit for us. Uh, help get some uh, 
of those new readers that they always claim to be going after. Get some of them in the door as well. Uh, give them give them a little bit more bang for their uh, for their buck. Uh, maybe by putting a buck or two back into their pockets every every visit to the comic shop. Now, before we get into the book, I just want to do a little bit of unpacking here. Uh, personal unpacking, I suppose. Uh, I, I want to preface with the fact that uh, uh, this is an issue that. Even to this day, uh, going, you know, two and a half, almost three years later, I have uh, never read a review of. I have never read another person's review on this book. I've never listened to a podcast where they discussed this book. Um, This is going to sound strange, uh, probably a little narcissistic as well, but uh, I don't know. This story felt very personal to me. Um, And I realize that's like the stupidest thing to say about one of the top selling books of the year. But, uh, it's how I felt. Um, I still sort of do. Uh, I still feel like this is a, a personal story. I, I think this is, I think a lot of, uh, returning DC fans might feel the same way. Though, you know, I, I might be preciously projecting. Uh, <laughs> it, it just feels like it was, uh, it was from the heart and, uh, directed to a certain kind of fan. Um, you know, the, the narcissistic fan, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and one of the words going around at the time was that this was an apology. I don't want to use that word because really it wasn't an apology. Uh, this issue felt like, it felt like, you know, reuniting with a friend that you'd lost touch with. Um, you know, you, you, you sit down, you have the coffee and it's like you never missed a beat. You know, you could, you could have not been with this person for 10, 15 years, but as soon as you're sitting down face to face, it was just like it was just like you were back in high school, you know. It's uh, or wherever you met. Uh, another thing, uh, really apropos of nothing, but this was the first time that I knowingly double dipped on a book. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned it, and I'm sure I'll mention it again. But I am a DCBS customer. That's Discount Comic Book Service or DCBService.com. Uh, they're a mail order site that gives deep discounts on your uh, on new books basically and i've been with them since the new 52 started so you know almost almost a decade at this point but uh in that time you know i you, you order your books and you, you don't get them on release day obviously i usually got them about a week later if i was on weekly shipping uh, i think at this point i was on bi-weekly shipping so there might have been up to a two-week wait for me to see what happened in rebirth and uh I, I couldn't wait that long. Because um, if I did wait that long, that would have meant that I would have had to avoid talking to my friends, uh, being on the internet at all, basically, especially with the ending of this issue. Uh, I'm sure that would have been plastered everywhere, uh, or I'm sure it was plastered everywhere, uh, especially uh, a couple of panels, and we'll get into those <laughs> as we discuss the book. But uh, usually I'm cool with waiting. You know, uh, part of the... Part of the joy in waiting is that I do get to avoid certain websites that I would rather not frequent. Uh, and uh, this book was different. I, I wasn't able to wait up to a half month to find out what happened in this book. So I actually double dipped and it's the first and might actually even be the only time that I've knowingly bought the same book twice. Uh, I was afraid. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. We get into this bubble, you know, and uh, you think that, I, I don't know, it's like, I, I, I never think it's going to be like the 90s again, but sometimes I get it into my head like it will, like, 
I need to get to the store when they open or else Rebirth's going to be gone, you know? So I actually did stop at a store uh, nearby the house. Uh, a store opened up, and I was there at opening. And, of course, you know, there were dozens of copies of Rebirth there. No, Nobody was really tripping over each other to get to it. But uh, the thing of it is, my closest store it is not a store anymore. It's gone. But uh, it had comics in the store name, but it was... Uh, it was something that I, I, I usually refer to it as like a Big Bang store. I, I don't know much about that television show, but I, I do know that uh, it brought a lot of our habits into the sort of kind of mainstream. And uh, anytime I'd go into this store, it, you know, standard strip mall fare. It's kind of narrow and long. Uh, you know, the back corner to the right would be comics. The back corner to the left would be trades. Everything else would be Funko Pops, T-shirts, uh, posters. Everything everything you can upcharge for is going to be the rest of the store. Uh, including actual life-size standees of the people from the Big Bang Show. Which, uh, I don't know what uh, what chain letter in hell you'd have to break to have one of those in your house. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, though, like I said, I've never seen it, so I probably shouldn't talk about it. Uh, now we're gonna we're gonna take a uh, little horn break here, and uh, when we get back, we will go right into DC Universe Rebirth number one. Okay, DC Universe Rebirth number one, at a July 2016 cover date. Story title: The clock is ticking across the DC universe. Had four chapters. Chapter one was Lost. Chapter two was Legacy. Chapter three was Love. Chapter 4 was Life and Epilogue. Written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Gary Frank, Ethan Van Skyva, Ivan Reese, and Phil Jimenez. Inked by Gary Frank, Ethan Van Skyva, Joe Prado, and Matt Santarelli. Colored by Brad Anderson, Jason Wright, Hi-Fi Color, and Gabe Eltiebe. It's, uh, it's Beetle backwards. Uh, lettered Nick J. Napolitano, assistant editor Andrew Marino. Group editor Eddie Berganza, with special thanks to Mike Cotton, Brian Cunningham, and Amadeo Tuturo. This uh, 80-page issue had a cover price of $2.99. Now we open with a narrated piece over the deconstruction of a watch. Our host discusses the loss of time. He and everyone around has all lost time. He continues by talking about the world. He says it's a world that he loves without question. However, something's missing. His life and legacy has been torn away, and now he is searching through time for his quote-unquote lightning rod to ground him. His first stop is the Batcave, which is exactly where our scene shifts. Batman is discussing some of his new Mobius chair knowledge with his butler. Uh, you know, Batman was sitting in the Mobius chair during the Dark Side War in Justice League, and... Uh, he asked it some questions, and he got some answers. Uh, here we have Alfred referring to him as Master Wayne, which, <laughs> I don't know, it seems a little formal, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, uh, as we said, during the Dark Side War uh, event, he was in possession of the Mobius chair, and he asked a question about who the Joker was. And the answer was, there are three of them running around. It's not just one guy. Which, uh, I, I think we were all expecting to hear a name, but... Uh, this is a, a neat little curveball, the, the first of many curveballs we're going to get here. Now, his brain strain as Batman, of course, is soon interrupted by a flash of lightning, and it's at this point that we meet our host, our narrator. It's Wally West. 
the real Wally West. And uh, I think it's at this point that we all knew we were in for a hell of a story. Now, Batman initially mistakes him for Barry Allen, which I guess is sort of understandable. Uh, Wally's connection to Bruce isn't quite strong enough to keep him tethered to existence, and uh, so he fades just as quickly. Uh, Before he does, however, he reminds Bruce about the letter that Thomas Wayne wrote him during Flashpoint, which, uh, you know, uh, one of the things uh, that we're going to hear a lot today, or I'm going to mention a lot today, is the concept that everything's on the table, you know, and... uh, We didn't know what direction this was going to go. Was this going to go classic DC completely, or was it going to go pick and choose, pick and choose here and there? But uh, here we have something from Flashpoint, which uh, really surprised me, and and I like it, (laughs) surprisingly. I I really, really like that everything matters, Uh, and we'll get into that more as we go along. Now, from here, we get a little bit of Wally West 101. Uh, We go from his, uh, (laughs) his super convenient origin story, which is... The same as Barry Allen's. Uh, Through his time with the Teen Titans, his time on Crisis on Infinite Earths, his relationship with Linda Park, the return of Barry Allen in uh, Final Crisis, uh, really everything except for the the kids, his uh, of of, uh, Jai and Iris, we uh, or Irie, I guess we're calling her now. Uh, There's everything about him is mentioned except for the children, Um, and uh, then nothing. He's gone. Now, uh, Barry went back in time, Flashpoint happened, yada, 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 Wally's gone. And uh, he posits that ten years have been stolen from all of them. You know, people lost experience, they lost relationships. Uh, But when, and uh, more importantly, by who? Who took them? Well, we're going to talk about that later. Now, we shift to the uh, good life home for the elderly, where we see an aged man running away from a pair of orderlies. He locks himself in the kitchen where he's visited by Wally West. This fellow also has ties to the lightning, and Wally urges him to use his genie in order to find the Justice Society. It's not long before he's pulled back into the Speed Force again. Now, the scene ends with this man, this is Johnny Thunder, of course, trying to summon Thunderbolt by using his summon phrase, C-U, that's C-E-I-U. Uh, He is unfortunately dragged back to his room by the orderlies. We have a quick scene change to a young woman being interrogated at the Metropolis Police Precinct. A woman who might be Lee Lambert from the tail end of the New 52 action comics. Uh, I I can't remember if she was a police officer or a firefighter. I think she was a police officer. Uh, Either way, she's questioning the young lady because she claims to be from the future. If you're wondering, uh, she stole a sandwich because I, in the future, food is free. You don't you don't have to pay for your sandwiches there, I guess. Uh, now, she asks to speak to Superman, to which the woman informs her that he is missing and he's feared to be dead. The young lady's okay, though, because she knows that everything will be okay. Because, you know, she's from the future. What do you want to do? Uh, among her effects is a very familiar ring with an L on it. Of course, this is a Saturn girl from the Legion of Superheroes. Next up, we head over to Ivy University. Student Ryan Choi is listening to Dean Plum talking a bunch of spoo about his professor, Ray Palmer. After a tacky threat to have the young man deported, uh, he runs off to Palmer's lab. Uh, Once there, a monitor comes on, and on it is Ray Palmer, the Atom. It's a pre-recorded message for Ryan, and if he's seeing it, it's already too late. 
Ray tries to pass along a warning. However, he must have exceeded the bandwidth or something because it cuts off before he gets to any of the juicy bits. We take another stop. This time we go to the Blue Beatles. This is Ted Cord and Jaime Reyes. They chat for a bit before, Jan- uh, before Jaime beetles up and heads off to school. Just as he leaves, Dr. Fate arrives to warn Ted that his upcoming comic book series is going to be terrible. Okay, not really. Uh, he just warns Ted that the uh, Beatles scarab is, is more based in magic than it is technology. So gives him a little friendly warning. We get a briefer vignette, uh, or several briefer vignettes, actually. First, we see Damian Wayne celebrating his Titanic 13th birthday, which uh, will lead to the Teen Titans series. We have the new Green Lantern, Jessica Cruz, getting some Sinestro 101 from Hal Jordan. And also the all-new Aqualad, who uh, we briefly met during Brightest Day, but it was a different dude with the same name. And uh, at this point, (laughs) I couldn't believe that Brightest Day is, you know, almost a decade ago. It's wild. Now, we wrap up this chapter with the lady who caused this entire mess. That's Pandora, of course. Now, it's clear that she's being chased by someone or something, and uh, she's killed, uh, vaporized even, in a very familiar way to some, to some uh, long-time readers are going are gonna to recognize this panel uh, right off the bat. Now, chapter three opens with Darkseid's daughter, Grail, cradling... I want to say Superwoman from the Crime Syndicate's baby. I, th- that whole thing kind of got me uh, thrown for a loop, and it's been so long since I've revisited it that I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. Uh, now, she mentioned that Wonder Woman has a twin brother named Jason. From here, we shift to the location where the New 52 Superman perished, and many of the heavy hitters of the DC Universe are present. Of the group are Green Arrow and Black Canary, who they kind of, it's cute, they kind of steal a glance at one another. Uh, It's like they suddenly realize that something has been missing for quite a while, and uh, I wonder if it's something that might rhyme with uh, Geik Morel, you know? Over at the Siegel Motel, Clark Kent, this is the real one, he's with his wife and son. They discuss the apparent death of this Superman and uh, wonder if maybe he'll make a comeback like Clark did after his battle with Doomsday. Clark leaves to fetch some lunch for the family, and along the way he runs into that cloak-enigmatic Mr. Oz. He informs our man that things might not be as they seem. We get another vignette, and in it, Aquaman proposes to Mera. We jump back to the Superman site, and the reporter for Super News, Linda Park, is trying to get the scoop. She shoot away because, you know, really now, how, how silly is Super News? Come on. Anyhow, she walks off, and she meets Wally West, the real Wally West. Uh, you know, because she was his lightning rod back in the real DC Universe, so maybe she is now, too. Uh, well, she doesn't. <laughs> she isn't. Uh, she doesn't know him anymore, and... Uh, Wally vanishes, and the chapter comes to a close. Chapter 4 opens with Wally taking an electrified tour of the DC Universe. We see bits from the Gotham tandem from Batman, and a bit from uh, John Constantine and Swamp Thing. Wally tries to make contact with anyone who might remember him, and that includes Captain Boomerang, Dick Grayson, and Cyborg. Unfortunately, none of this is successful. Along the way, he runs into... Wally West, the new one, the the fake one. (laughs) And now this is where this book really begins to get me. Uh, Wally waxes on about how it looks like that his days are over and it's it's time for new Wally. 
to take over. It's his days have just begun. It really feels like we're gearing up for a, like a true passing of the torch. And uh, and the first time I read this, oh man, <laughs> it was like a battle between this lump in my throat and a fire in my stomach. It was just like, I really didn't know how to react because it felt like it was going a certain way. Now, uh, the final stop for Wally is where he should have started, really, Barry Allen. Uh, Barry saves a bunch of folks from a burning building, delivers pizzas, and renovates a restaurant, all in a matter of seconds. And at that point, Wally presents himself. He's not there for a potential tether, though. He doesn't view Barry as a lightning rod. He's only there to say goodbye. He figures it's, it's done for him. It's over. Now, he continues, and he tells Barry that he needs to make sure Batman investigates that Flashpoint letter. As he dissipates further, he thanks his uncle for, having, for giving him such an amazing life. When he has barely anything left of him but particles, Barry's eyes widen, and he mutters, Wally? And he reaches out. Now, if I were a betting man at the time, I probably would have put it all on Barry's hand going right through a mass of particles, you know? Maybe... Maybe like a brief flashback of their times together and then just forget all over again. I thought this was really gonna be it. Um, Because the setup was just so amazing. It was a perfect goodbye to the real Wally. And uh, I really thought that that was the way it was gonna go. And gotta tell you, I haven't been this glad to be wrong (laughs) in quite a while. Oh, then we get to the page that... Oh boy. Now... I don't use the word perfect ever uh, because it's one of those words that's been cheapened by the internet. It's just so overused, but uh, it's the scene of the hug. And uh, it's a hard one to look at sometimes. It really tells you everything you need to know about what's to come in this newly rebirthed optimistic DC, you know? It's where we can see in a single panel what we lost. And uh, now it's back. At least it was. But we'll get to that later. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, Wally fills Barry in on everything after they embrace. uh, That, you know, someone came, someone took time from them. And, uh, you know, uh, Barry thinks that, you know, this is all his fault. Because, you know, Flashpoint was his fault. But uh, Wally has news for him. It was not Barry who's responsible for Taking away all this time. Uh, We're going to find out who, back at the Batcave, where Batman is checking out the letter from his Flashpoint father. While he reads it, he notices a glimmer coming from a corner of the cave, and when he goes to investigate, he finds the comedian's bloody button from Watchmen. And we wrap up this special with an epilogue that takes us off-planet. We rejoin that watch that was reassembling in the opening pages, and then our narration boxes, they change from, you know, Wally's gold to a baby blue. And the lettering changes to be a little bit more handwritten-y. And uh, then the watch undergoes a uh, pretty telling metamorphosis, uh, turning into, you know, the Watchmen Doomsday Clock. And that is how we wrap up. So yeah, that was DC Universe Rebirth number one. And uh figure we start unpacking with that one scene. Uh, <laughs> it's um, uh, total disclosure. This is like take six of this because uh, 
that's a really rough scene to get through. That's, of course, the uh, Wally and Barry scene. Um, I'll just come out and say it. I, I'm I'm easily touched by things, and and I don't say that like uh, in a dismissive, you know, you know, uh, oh boy, the room got dusty sort of way. I I get moved easily, uh, and there've been a handful of comics that have gotten me, and uh, some that I've even discussed on the blog. Uh, things like the death of Superman, uh, things like Lois reuniting with the Kents following the death of Superman, and then there's that damn JSA Christmas issue that reintroduces Ma Hunkle. Gets me like a punch to the gut every single time. The scene with Wally and Barry was more like a cannonball to the gut. Uh, like I said, this is like take six because <laughs> it's it gets me every single time. Uh, and and you know it's just it's I hate using the word perfect, but the the, you know, the whole lead up it's masterfully done. Um, it really felt like. We were passing the torch from real Wally to New 52 Wally. This really felt like a goodbye. And so when Barry reached reached out and didn't, you know, pass right through Wally, I, I, it was, I, you know, it was weird. It was like, it was kind of like we were standing there with them just wondering, you know, what, what, what now? It's just so weird. I remember reading that page and just not knowing exactly what it was. Just not knowing what could be next. Like, what information does Wally have that's going to, you know, change everything? And sticking with Wally for a little bit longer. Uh, those handful of pages in the beginning uh, where... I mean, they pretty much telegraphed that Wally was our narrator. Uh, and I gotta say, I was tremendously psyched. <laughs> because Wally was, and uh, I guess sort of still is, my Flash. Uh... He's the guy I followed for two decades, you know, and then he went away. <laughs> but when I finally saw him there, it was just so, so powerful. And uh, I knew the, the story was not going to let me go. Uh, you know, uh, if you were to say, you know, like Wally does in the opening, I love this world, but there's something missing. I swear I probably could have listed hundreds of things that I felt the New 52 DC Universe was missing. But then we see Wally, we see him physically, and it uh, just perfectly illustrates without a single word what we'd all lost over the summer of 2011. We lost legacy, friends, family. And, you know, at the risk of sounding a bit precious, uh, not that I've let that stop me before, uh, it really, at the end of the day, it wasn't just the heroes of the DC Universe that lost chunks of their lives, you know? Uh, the people who followed these books for years, decades... You know, we lost something, too, and uh, and now here was a sign that at least some of it was coming back. If we jump over to the New 52 fans, uh, lucky for them, they did not lose much. I probably mentioned this a time or two, but please indulge me. Uh, when the New 52 was announced back on Memorial Day 2011, folks were almost giddy that us old-timers were losing everything. It was so weird, like, people were dancing on the grave of DC, of the DC Universe with, like, for, like, no reason. Uh, just because people were affected by it. Uh, I guess that's just a sign of the internet. Uh, just people like to, uh, <laughs> people like to celebrate other people's loss, I guess. I don't know. And this is just silly comic stuff. This isn't real life. But, uh, you get where I'm coming from, I hope. I am glad... That they didn't lose much uh, For a couple of reasons 
because I'm a fan of lore. I like having everything matter. I, I like... I like things to be as seamless as possible, which, of course, again, this is comics, and it's never going to be that way. But uh, I like being able to draw from every everything to make stories happen. And uh, and so I'm happy that they didn't lose much. And, uh, I mean, this is probably as close to the best of both or all worlds as we were going to get. Um, because... Uh, you know, they could have done it in a, di- a couple different ways. They could have actually done a hard reboot here with Rebirth and started everything over yet again. Uh, or they, you know, they could add Superman waking up from a dream and being like, Hey, Lois, oh, you'll never believe the dream I just had. And they didn't, which is a good thing. Because uh, as much as much disdain or whatever you want to call it that I might have toward the New 52... Like I said, I am a big lore guy, so I, I'm i glad we just didn't get a reset to, you know, the second to last week of August 2011. Everything should be a part of something bigger. And uh, the way this story was crafted really allowed that to happen in a mostly organic way. Um, the, the buzzword around Convergence in 2015 was, from Dan DiDio, was everything's on the table. And uh, it wasn't. <laughs> It really wasn't. It was, here's 45 flavors of Gotham City under glass and, and choke on it. But uh, here we are where everything, and, and you know, you bring Watchmen into it. You know, Lord only knows what, what could have been added at this point. Because that's as sure a sign as anything that every single thing is on the table. And uh, I really appreciated that. I, I thought that that was really cool and and, and it it uh, showed respect to multiple generations of fans um to let them know that everything you read mattered you know and again it's it's silly if you like if you if you try to make yourself an outsider looking in and you realize that we're that we're really really laboring this much over comic books and comic book continuity it, it probably seems you know, the very definition of, you know, first world problems or, or something of the like. But, you know, we're, we're in it now, so uh, we might as well keep going. Uh, <laughs> now, is we, we one of the things a lot of us heard around the time that the New 52 started was, uh, it's, uh, you know, nobody's taking the stories away from you. They're right there on your shelf. Go, go You know, you, you want to read The Death of Superman? Go pull it off your shelf. And Which, I mean, it, it's it's technically correct but it's just so wrong-headed in my opinion and so disrespectful and so dismissive uh but now i could go read the death of superman and it does matter because it actually happened um because uh, one thing that that folks might not remember is that uh when the new 52 started we were told explicitly that nothing happened before that it wasn't like, oh, well, yeah, the death of Superman happened on another Earth. It was like, no, that never happened on no Earth <laughs> ever. So uh, we were really just wiped out. But now everything's back. Uh, and, you know, let's go to the ending. Let's talk about the ending for a second. You know, I'm not the most watchman guy out there. Uh, I-, I read it. I thought it was great. Um, but I really... I find that I don't have as strong a connection to the story as many seem to online. Um, but even with that said, I, I, like, I, like I said a, a minute ago, that's the truest sign that everything 
was on the table for this uh, for this rebirth. And uh, and when at the time that I wrote this uh, piece on the blog, we were just about gearing up for that button storyline, and I was just chomping at the bit for that, and thought that that was going to be one that I was going to double dip on, but I, I wound up not. But uh, that just uh, <laughs> that ended kind of with a dud anyway, though. Um, I'm probably gushing, uh, <laughs> but I honestly feel like DC Universe Rebirth number one was probably the best case scenario uh, with everything that DC had added to the mix over the past decade of the, the New 52. Um, the issue works really hard to please everyone, and uh, you know I don't think everyone will think it's perfect, but I think there's a little something for just about everyone to enjoy here. Uh, you know, guys like me have a little bit of indication, and newcomers, they can follow this and s- with the knowledge that everything they already knew is still true. Um, so, I mean, it's, if you want to call it a win-win or just as close to a win-win as we're going to get, I, I guess that's that's probably where I'd put it. Now, this has been re-released several times over. I think it's even gotten like a hardback edition with uh, like liner notes and... I think even like contextual stuff to bring people up to date on on you know just what Watchmen is if they if they were unfamiliar with that property, definitely recommend it. Um, you can get it digitally, you can get it in print, you can get it any which way you need to. But uh, I think that this is one that uh, that you should check out. Uh, which might be weird to say now because uh, we're we're a couple years removed and. I swear when I, when I looked at this again, I felt like it was. Six, seven, eight years ago that this came out Because uh, the DC Universe of right now It doesn't look anything like this anymore It's very strange because uh, The thing of it was, was that And I'm going to play a little clip from a, a Jeff Johns uh, presentation later on in the episode But uh, the thing of it was, this was an attempt at bringing back a lighter DC A uh, optimistic DC and in the years since, we've had the dark multiverse, the heroes in crisis, the, all this dark stuff that just, like, totally goes counter what the original mission statement was, which, it confuses me, it irritates me, but what are you gonna do? I mean, it is comics, and, uh, the pendulum always swings. Uh, it's, uh, either which way, it's always gonna swing back the other way eventually. <laughs> Now, I don't get comments all that often over at Chris's on InfiniteEarths.com, uh, but when I do, they're, they're always, they're always a, a joy to, to see. Um, even if someone didn't 100% agree with my take on a book or, or a character, I, I love the engagement. I love the interaction. And uh, my DC Rebirth uh, post back in uh, 2017 did get a comment that very same day. And it's from a, a friend of mine, Jeremy Daw. He's a uh, fellow contributor to Weird Science DC Comics. He also has a blog called The Muttering Muse. Um, I'll include a link to his site on the show notes there. The thing about Blogger, it's a, a weird and wonderful thing, where uh, <laughs> it sometimes marks the uh, commenter as anonymous, and then like the next day it might go back to their real name, and then the next day it might go back to anonymous. And as I'm looking at it right now, it's, it's listed, as, listed as anonymous. But he writes in and says, A great review, thorough, personal, and very enjoyable. I dropped comics at probably the wrong time for this rebirth to have the same emotional impact it had on you. And he says he dropped them between 2000 and 2012. 
but I can understand why the New 52 rubbed so many people up the wrong way. Despite what I've read elsewhere, I agree with you that when you say this issue is not an apology, because it isn't. Not really. It is, however, an acknowledgement that the New 52 was too brutal, too comprehensive a reboot. It is an acknowledgement that the messiness and sheer weight of DC continuity is actually not a bug, but a feature of the DC universe. He continues to say, on to the issue itself. Yes, the Wally Barry reunion is the highlight of the issue. It brings, as my kids would say, all the feels. Like you, I was expecting this to be a bittersweet farewell to a fan-favorite character, and each successive encounter only reinforced that sense of inevitability. But damn it, Johns is better than that, and thank goodness he is. The hug is one of the most powerful comic book moments I've ever read. Beautifully scripted and drawn, it's a bold statement of intent from Johns and the creatives at at DC. As is the button. Of course, that's the comedian's button. He continues to say, This, though, brings us to the big problem with the issue. And it's not actually with the contents of the issue at all, but rather what the issue represents and promises. Does it make sense not to have Batman pursuing the issue of the button straight away and finding at least some sort of answer or clue that will help unravel the greater mystery of just how the Watchmen might tie into the wider DC universe? Does it make sense to make us wait six or seven months before we get an issue focusing on the Atom? Many of the characters and moments highlighted or foreshadowed are simply issues of tone changing or or relationships developing, but some of the vignettes have a higher urgency to them and I can't help feeling that a stronger development or exploration of some of these threads would have been a better strategy. I didn't read all of the Rebirth titles, but my understanding from listening to Weird Science and from reading reviews from all around the net is that many of the Rebirth titles feel or have felt like they are treading water, presumably because there are some aspect to those books' characters or plotlines that will be resolved at a later date because they tie into the overall Rebirth story. A story that has a strong start here, but has since seen much of the momentum it generated dissipate over the following months. He, can, he concludes with, all of which is metatextual, metatextual, easy for me to say, I suppose, but you can't get away with the implications of this issue without discussing its impact. As an issue in its own right, Rebirth is lovely, beautifully and powerfully written, exceptionally well-drawn. Looking back on it now, though, it was also disappointing simply because of so much of its promise remains as yet unfulfilled. And he wrote that a year into Rebirth, give or take, Here we are almost three years into Rebirth, and we're still treading water. (laughs) It's it's wild. And uh, one personal thing about uh, Jeremy's missive here, I actually got this when me and the wife were sitting in a yogurt shop. I got the email with his message, and I was reading it, and the wife looked over my shoulder and saw how long it was. She's like, wow, that's, you know, a really thoughtful letter. And uh, Jeremy's always that way. And... uh, and she asked me, like, well, what is what what was it about this issue? And I'm sitting there in a yoga shop, and, 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 you know, bless her, she usually will ask me a question about a comic, or, like, she'll see a commercial for The Flash on TV, and she'll be like, well, what? tell me about The Flash. And I'll say, oh, you mean Golden Age, Pre-Crisis, Post-Crisis, Post-Flashpoint? And, she, and she'll, like, walk out of the room, and I'm just lucky she hasn't come back with divorce papers, I guess. But uh, at the yoga shop, she asked me to explain this story. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going through it and I I actually get to the bit about Wally and Barry hugging and I start welling up in a damn yoga shop. I mean, that's how powerful this story is. And uh, just exactly what Jeremy said there 
It's uh, so powerfully drawn, um, so well scripted, very, very, uh, might be the strongest page I've seen in quite some time. But uh, to Jeremy's points about the the promise being unfulfilled, he's 100% correct. It's uh, everything is just treading water at this point. Uh, we're going on three years and we know nothing's going to change until Doomsday Clock is done. And that's been delayed uh, we're we're going to be lucky if that's done by next summer, and that's summer of 2019, uh, and it started last year. So it's it's a lot of stuff just waiting to be done, and uh, it's just a it's just a shame because this did stru- start off so strong, it launched so many good books, um, but you know it it took Wally and Barry, I'm, I'm sorry, it took Barry and Batman a heck of a long time to investigate this button. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, it's crazy to think of because it was like such a sense of urgency after reading this where we're literally salivating, you know, waiting for these new new books to come out to find out where this goes. And and a lot of them did just tread water. And it's, uh, it's a shame. And uh, it's unfortunately where we're still sitting now. But uh, I'm still hopeful that hopefully these things will pay off. Maybe we will get a Legion book. Maybe we will get a Justice Society book. But... Uh, I guess, uh, you know, time time will tell. Uh, one last thing about uh, my post on, uh, on Rebirth here. Uh, this was my 400th post, and it was actually the day that I decided to purchase the chrisoninfiniteearths.com domain name, which uh, I, I actually decided that right after I read Jeremy's email at the uh, yoga shop. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, that that was what kind of pushed me over the edge. It's like, okay, you know, this is this feels real now. It's still just a hobby, of course, but uh, it felt more than a frivolous hobby. It felt like there was something I was building, and that was uh, the last little nudge I needed to to make that you know gigantic twelve dollar a year purchase. So. Uh, Thank you for that, Jeremy. Thank you, of course, for your missive and uh, your very thoughtful uh, thoughts on uh, on Rebirth. Uh, one thing before we go, I did get a piece of uh, mail from our friend Jeremiah Jones Goldstein about the last episode. He sent an email on November 28th of this year, and he says, Chris, I was stuck in traffic this morning and got to listen to the new episode all in all in one sitting which uh, I don't know if I recommend anybody do it. I get tired of my own voice within a few minutes, but uh, to each day wrong. He says, It was excellent. I really enjoyed hearing the in-depth story of how you were able to get the death of Superman and the Executioner Song comics. Thank you for sharing that. And that's uh, referring to our Thanksgiving special where I discuss Superman the Man of Steel number 18 and the litany of odd jobs <laughs> that I took throughout the towns of Oakdale, Bohemia, and Sayville, to uh, be able to afford all my comics. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for the email, uh, Jeremiah. I I wasn't sure about that episode. I thought it might be a little too sappy, it might be a little too gushy, but then here I am this week talking about rebirth and, and literally blubbering. So uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Before we go, I'm going to uh, send this over to my discussion with Patrick Kotenberg, who uh, requested uh, that I discuss this issue. We had a nice chat about how Rebirth uh, didn't scare him off as a new DC uh, reader, which is one of those questions I think a lot of us uh, tenured fans have about certain books, uh, certain important books, like how would a new reader uh, receive this? 
And uh, luckily, uh, Patrick Cotenberg was there to tell me how he uh, how he received DC Comics, DC Universe Rebirth, and uh, how it kept him engaged and kept him coming back to the store uh, week after week. But before we go to him, I'm going to include the little, uh, it's like a two or three minute blurb from Jeff Johns that introduces the uh, Rebirth Initiative. Uh, it was from sometime in uh, February or March 2016, uh, and it'll give you a little bit of a break from hearing my voice. So uh, <laughs> I'll send that over to, uh, to Jeff and then over to my conversation with Patrick. Hey guys, I'm Jeff Johns, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about what Rebirth means. So I'm sure when it came up, you were like everybody else, curious, maybe a little cynical, unsure of what this meant. And that's why I'm here to talk to you about what it means. You know, when we started Green Lantern Rebirth, Hal Jordan was gone, the Green Lantern Corps was gone, Kilowog was gone, Sinestro was gone, Guy Gardner was some crazy alien guy. And it really didn't feel like Green Lantern to me. It didn't feel like the epic you know, nature of what Green Lantern could be. And so by bringing Hal Jordan back, we didn't just bring him back, we brought the core back, we brought Sinestro back, Kilowog back. But it wasn't just about bringing things back, it was about really looking at what Green Lantern is all about. And that was willpower and courage over fear. That was epic storytelling across a canvas of intergalactic adventures and, and threats. And it was also about embracing the present too. It was like Kyle Rayner, we brought him right into the center of that storyline and we kept him there. And that was really important to me, is that it wasn't about destroying anything. If anything, it was about taking all the elements from the past that were so great that were discarded and bringing them into the present. And then taking all that and moving to the future. And it led to Sinestro Corps and then ultimately Blackest Night. The second rebirth was the Flash rebirth. You had Wally and Jay and all the speedsters. They were great. The Speed Force was cool. The rogues were cool. And in this rebirth, we looked inward. We looked more at Barry Allen himself giving him a backstory that he never had. So we told a story of, you know, his mother's killed and his father's arrested for it, and Barry Allen stops. Just emotionally, he stops, he's standing still, and he gets into forensic science, and he wants to exonerate his father, and he works in a crime lab, and one day, when he's working on his mother's case late at night, he's hit by a bolt of lightning. He gains super speed, and he's saving people, and he's finding joy in life. He's connecting with people again. Emotionally, he allows himself to move forward. After the Flash rebirth, it all led to Flashpoint. And, you know, from showcase to crisis to Flashpoint, the Flash has always been on the forefront of change at the DC Universe. There are some secrets we'll learn about the New 52 in the third rebirth, right? It's gonna start with DC Universe Rebirth number one, this special that kicks off the entire rebirth event. And it's not just an event, but an ongoing mission for us. And we've been working for months and months and months with all the creative teams in editorial and Dan and Jim. And I'm sitting there with every single team and really zeroing in on Aquaman or Birds of Prey or Justice Society of America and saying like, let's look at this and find out what we love about it. What did we love about it? What do we love about it? And really take all of that and build a better book, build a better universe. The whole point of Rebirth for all of us is to get back to the essence of the characters. I'll end this with saying the DC Universe Rebirth special, the very first couple lines in it sum up um, 
what this is to me. This is a picture of the world and the narrator, mysterious narrator says, I love this world, but there's something missing. All right, we're back, and I'm joined by guest Patrick Kotenberg, who's uh, going to tell us a little bit about his uh, memories of DC Universe Rebirth and uh, how that, in part, brought him back to the fandom in a large way. How you doing, Patrick? Very good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, before we get into Rebirth, uh, you know, it's become a tradition here with the one guest I've had already. Uh, we're going to discuss your secret origin where how did you discover comics in your youth yeah in my youth i uh, i had a paper route and we used to go down to the comic store and pick up comics and my parents i think a little bit suffered from some of the satanic panic mm. and so i i liked spider-man and punisher and uh some x-men too but my parents would not let me read punisher because they thought it was too violent so okay <laughs> to go in, when I used to go into the comic store, I'd buy Spider-Man, and then I'd hide the Punisher behind the Spider-Man comics. <laughs> what's ironic about this is this is during Maximum Carnage. And so if my parents had ever bothered to open up a Spider-Man comic and look at what I was reading, oh, boy, yeah. hiding Punisher behind, or hiding Spider-Man behind Punisher. Yeah, because that was really, uh, <laughs> that was some heavy stuff in uh, around Maximum Carnage. It was... Uh... Very uh, gory and uh, probably a lot more out there than what was going on in The Punisher at the time. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. not what they were thinking uh, Spider-Man was. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, your favorite books growing up, uh, other than uh, Spider-Man and The Punisher, uh, what, what, were you, what were you into? I wasn't into too much, pretty much that. And then I read some X-Men. I really liked okay. X-Men because of just how far out there and crazy they were. Sure, and, sure. Uh, but that was basically it. I really didn't get really too into comics until my 30s gotcha so. gotcha now uh I, I i'm not sure what your age is and i, I don't know if it's polite to ask but uh, no, it's, uh it's were you <laughs> were you around uh, for the image uh launch yeah yeah so um i'm um let's see so back then i would have been around this paper out 13 14 i'm guessing so okay. that was right around when image launched gotcha. and, uh what was kind of funny so spawn and all them are really huge right i remember i think it was the fourth spawn issue that had the uh violator's face on it it was up on the wall for like 25 dollars back then <laughs> now people will practically give it to you sure <laughs> yeah i was around for image i got into wildcats that's uh, how i discovered jim lee I used to uh, want to draw comics when I was younger, so I used to also buy tracing paper, and I used to trace his Wildcats to try to teach myself how to paint comics or draw. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, now uh, a lot of a lot of fans have like that one story about where or how they walked away from the uh, the the hobby. Uh, was there a time where you walked away? Because you said you weren't really into it as hardcore in your youth. So uh, what was it that made you kind of step back? Yeah, probably friends, I think. Um, I was I was very oddball kid. Probably pretty <laughs> cliche for comic friends. I didn't sure. have any friends. I got picked on and bullied a lot. And then um, and then I, I met a few friends, met a girl or two, and just kind of lost interest. It, that was basically it. Sure, sure. And uh, now, what was it? Uh, what was it that brought you back? I know Rebirth had a had a part in it, but what was it uh, exactly that like even made you consider going into Rebirth? 
Yeah, it was a uh, Zack Snyder's Superman uh, movie. So I I never been into DC before. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I mean, I saw <laughs> 89 Batman and that kind of stuff, but I knew sure. virtually nothing. And then the Zack Snyder movie blew me away. I loved it. Okay. Uh, and so it was really my first real introduction to Superman beyond you know what I'd heard here and there. And sure. so that piqued my interest, but it wasn't until a couple of years later when I heard that Rebirth had launched. And I thought, hey, this is this will be a great opportunity to jump back to the comics. <laughs> to the comics. They're going to start with number one. So Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rebirth, coming back uh, with, uh, you know, DC did something there that was uh, – uh, I hate it, but at the same time, it's ingenious. They found a way to do two number one issues in a single month for every single book because they did like they did, you know, Green Lantern Corps Rebirth and then Green Lantern Corps number one in the same month. So you had these two number ones, both of them really, really selling high because of the curiosity, the collectability, all that kind of stuff. Um and, and, you know, just people who might have an extra couple bucks because they did bring the price down when they did the rebirth. Uh, they, a lot of their books were $3.99 at the tail end of the New 52, and they brought them back down to $2.99, which really undercut Marvel. It, it undercut a lot of the independents as well. So uh, if if there was a curiosity, it was easy to pursue it. It was easy to maybe grab an issue of Harley Quinn just to, if you're if you catch it in the quote of your eye or something like that. Uh now you read the uh, the book that that I discussed earlier, DC Universe Rebirth number one, correct? Yeah, the deluxe one shot. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, what did you think of that? Uh, uh, as much as I liked the story, I was so lost, and I just <laughs> read it again preparing for the show, and yes. I now having the knowledge I know I was more lost than I knew I was lost. <laughs> <laughs> So, now, this time, did you have more of an appreciation uh, for what was going on in there? Uh, yeah, because this time I knew who Wally West was. And that, that was I, my next question, yes. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea who Wally West was. Gotcha. Was time. And uh, I caught the Watchmen references. And, gotcha. And so, yeah, I knew who Grail was this time and who the heck the baby was. Because and, and so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, I was uh, reviewing um, an issue of titans uh the new rebirth era of titans uh-huh. i think it was like issue four or five and on the cover it doesn't it's like it says wally's last race and i'm sitting here thinking it's like it's titans number four we have the name wally on the cover how many new fans know who wally is yeah, yeah it's like if it I says flash's last race sure that's one thing but wally's i don't know how many people who did come in with rebirth or were considering coming in with rebirth that would have been lost on, you know, and uh, and and hearing that you you weren't aware of, you know, exactly the significance of Wally West is is enlightening to me because it's it's one of those questions tenured fans tend to have about the uh, the Phantom newcomers, you know, uh, where you want to know how a new pair of eyes see things and how they can uh, am- disambiguate the information and uh, and and receive it. And if it if they were able to receive it in a way where it makes sense, where it's engaging, where it makes them want to learn more and come back, or if it's just so many names, so many concepts that you're just like, okay, done, tapping out. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm I'm glad that you decided to con- keep going with it because uh, a rebirth it 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 brought so much together. Uh, one of the buzz phrases that uh, we've heard 
over the past few years is uh, everything's on the table and uh, things that that's usually hollow. But when Rebirth number one came out, everything felt like it was on the table again. And uh, for me as a tenured fan, that was amazing. But for a newer fan, I mean, that's just so many plates spinning at once. So I don't know how uh, how how that would have been to receive. Uh, and I'm glad that it was to hear that it was engaging enough that you you did want to learn a little bit more. Yeah, as much as I didn't know what was going on, I did enjoy the story. I thought it was <laughs> out there. I thought it had a lot of interesting points. And so it it brought up my curiosity. And, it, and luckily, this happened in the day, day of the Internet because this happened back the <laughs> Probably would have just put it away and walked away because because of the internet I was able to research and so there sure. was wiki and there was these Google and there's you know YouTube and then it's actually how I discovered your guys's mm. question or show I started having all these questions you know why does Lex have a green suit what is a mother box who is Dark Side <laughs> yeah. you know and so what's the Comic Code Authority is actually how yeah. I found your show is oh, okay I was researching that and I saw this link and I clicked on it and. Uh, yeah, it became a fan of your show since then. So. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. It's 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 weird because uh, the internet is like it's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's it's a blessing because you can do all the research you need to do to keep up or to get into something and uh, and be able to follow it. But it's also a curse in that I think a lot of contemporary writers use it as a crutch where they don't need to explain things as succinctly as they used to back in the uh, 70s and 80s where – you know, you'd have that issue of X-Men where Chris Claremont would be like Wolverine with his adamantium claws, yada, 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 where you, you'd, he would reintroduce everybody every issue or every couple of issues. So you could hit the ground running where now, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't know, <laughs> especially, you know, they are, they're also being re- written for a newsstand. I, I mean, a uh, bookstore audience as well. So you might get something every sixth issue that introduces things and new concepts and uh, fleshes out certain bits of story. But those following five issues, chapters two through six, who knows? You know, that's yeah. just the to be continues here. Right. <laughs> now, what were what were some of your favorite parts of the issue? Uh, well, the just how out there it was, I think mm-hmm. I really liked a lot. It kind of reminded me of X Men, where it's just this crazy story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I felt like they're really building something huge and epic, and I wanted to know more about it. And that that was more or less. Mm-hmm. Now, d- now, did you have uh, any familiarity with Watchmen? No, other okay. than I had watched Zack Snyder's film, I believe, the movie. once. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But outside of that, I didn't. And I didn't make the connections at the time. Okay, so when the button showed up at the end, you, you didn't know the significance of that? Until the end of the Rebirth Deluxe, because in the back, okay. it talks about Watchmen. So at the time, gotcha. I didn't know it didn't mean anything to me. But when I saw the pages behind it, yeah. then it Perfect. Started. Okay, cool. Now... You know, this wasn't like we talk about how there are new number ones and that's supposed to be an entry point. But this wasn't a full reboot. Right. You know, this is a this is a situation where a lot of the concepts from the new 52 continued on. Yeah. And uh, and, and it was only made it was like uh, just shoving puzzle pieces in kind of just filling in some blanks where in 2011, when the new 52 launched, everything else was flushed down the toilet. So it was, I think, a lot easier for people to come in then, as confusing and crazy as that time was, 
Rebirth bringing everything back together is so much more satisfying, but at the same time, so much more intimidating to a new fan or a returning fan who'd been gone for a while. Uh, so you said you weren't a DC guy growing up, so there really wasn't much nostalgia here for you. There was none at all. And so it, yeah. it, was, about, <laughs> it was about as blank slate as you can get. And gotcha. so it, it just, it was really just because of how the story worked out that it, it piqued my interest. And so, awesome. but now if you were to look like at my room, I mean, there's DC stuff everywhere. So <laughs> yeah. it's really changed. So after uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one, they launched something like, what, 35, 40 new series starting at number ones, uh, minus the two legacy store, uh, series. What were some of the books that you started collecting after uh, Rebirth, uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one? Yeah, so I started out a little smaller. I was uh, actually comics, Superman, Detective Comics, Batman, I think uh, Harley Quinn, I think were the only ones I started with. Okay, now what were some of your favorite, or what was your favorite coming out of Rebirth? I really liked Superman a lot, and to this day, John is one of my favorite characters. Okay. And, and so uh, that was probably my number one book at the time, just because of his relationship with Superman I thought was so great. And that was the uh, Tomasi Gleason run, You're right? right. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely one of the high points for me as well. I. I have a thing where I stockpile thinking like I have, I'm going to have like this, this six month period where I have absolutely nothing to do. Like maybe I'll get mono or break both legs or something. So I have nothing to do and I'll have all the time in the world to read. So I bought everything coming out of rebirth. I use uh, discount comic book services, uh, DCB services or whatever it is. And they had bundles where everything was like 50% off for everything. So I did that. And uh, the books I kept coming back to were were Superman and Action Comics, and uh, and and for the first few issues, uh, you know, like Flash and Titans and stuff like that. But uh, Superman and Action, I think, were the two that I actually read the entire time that I wasn't forced to because I reviewed them somewhere. You know, right. so uh, <laughs> those were definitely my favorites as well. Uh, now we're what are we here? We're in 2018. We're two almost three years removed from the rebirth initiative now how yeah. many how many books are you reading today uh probably 20 ish okay. uh depending on miniseries sure sure yeah. now are those all dc or are they throughout yeah. the whole industry yeah, it's very they're they're 100 dc i tried to do a little bit i started spider-man i uh, briefly mm-hmm. did they kept rebooting. I think Marvel as a line just kept doing it. But yeah. I started to realize I was going in a rabbit hole. So it wasn't so much a DC versus Marvel as it was a, a checkbook versus how many comics I could buy. And I didn't want to add all the Spider-Man books and then all the X-Men books. And then it's all true. You know, just the the rabbit hole that I was going to go into, I said, let's just stick with DC and stick yeah, it out. It, it does get confusing. Uh or it does. It gets confusing and it gets expensive. Uh, I was uh, just looking at the uh, Marvel solicits the other day, and uh, not to do a DC versus Marvel thing, but uh, I was shocked at how many like different Wolverine uh, family books there are now. It's like a Hulkverine right. and Wolverine and the Infinity. Wa- I, I, and I'm like, if I wanted to get on the ground with Wolverine, I wouldn't even know where to start. Right. And, I, and I've been reading Wolverine for 30 years, <laughs> and I wouldn't know where to start. So it's just. Uh, it's just insane. Now, uh, what what would you say your favorite books are now uh, as, as compared to three years, almost three years ago when Rebirth first hit? 
Oh, jeez. Uh, well, I really like Super Sons. I still like John a lot, and I'm glad they're mm-hmm. doing that 12-issue miniseries. Yeah, that's uh, Adventures of the Super Sons. Right? Yeah, and I hope when that ends that it's popular enough that they keep going with it. Sure. Uh, that I really like Bendis's, um, what he's doing with Superman so far. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, he's got a lot of uh, questions right now that haven't been answered. I've uh, really gotten into the new Teen Titans, which are older books. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. And so I just I just bought the one through 130 to 84 series, and then the uh, the original I think it was 58 books, the uh, the 1980, and then the Tales of Teen Titans. Yes. yes. And then uh, current books, I really like the the Titans book right now. They're out in space. I really like Justice League Dark and Justice League Odyssey mm-hmm. and Justice League. So uh, it's nice to like Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. There were a lot of lean years there for Justice League uh, uh, going into the DC YOU era and even a little bit of the uh, launch post rebirth where uh, it was a little rough uh, <laughs> to be a yeah. Justice League fan there. Now, uh, you're, you said you're reading the uh, New Titans here. Uh, what are your feelings on uh, on some of those? The the new Teen Titans I've read about the first twenty of them and uh, I really like them a lot. Marv Wolfman is becoming one of my favorite writers. Absolutely. And, and so his I just when I hear the Teen Titans I think like books meant for kids and these are <laughs> all meant for kids. It's some pretty oh. intense stuff they're talking about there. Oh yeah. And, and so I I really liked how seems like a lot of them have some pretty tough backgrounds, but they still come together and become a team. And then unlike the Justice League, they're they're more friends than duty. Absolutely. And yeah, so they, doing they're barbecue. family. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really like that's that's a relatively new concept to me. And I really like that take on it a lot. It's it's a great take. It's uh, one of my favorite runs uh, of all time. And uh, I, I think uh, there was a it was a magic time that I, that I missed because I was too young. Uh, the uh, early to mid 80s. I was I was born in 79. So I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't all that old <laughs> to, uh, right. to really grasp things like, you know, Wolfman's Titans and Claremont's X-Men, where I could only imagine what a magical time that was for people uh, having these two different companies having these two sort of similar concepts out there and right. both done just so well. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause usually it's like in the years prior or the years since it's a, uh, you know, when the Titans is good, the X-Men are crap. <laughs> and when the X-Men are good, the Titans are crap, or there's just no title for one of them at, at a given point. So it's uh, it, it must've been just amazing to have so much quality team books out there. And, uh, the kind of thing I, I can hardly wrap my head around these right, days. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, I, I want to thank you for stopping by. Uh, this has uh, been a lot of fun, and uh, maybe later on uh, down the line we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, tag team uh, an issue of uh, New Titans yeah, uh, to see uh, to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I've recently been revisiting a lot of those myself, and uh, I, I'm still blown away by just how great they are. Yeah, thank you for letting me come on the show, and it was a lot of fun talking about this stuff, and I would love to do it in the future. Awesome. Now, uh, you could tell the people. You said you don't have a you don't have a blog or a, like a an internet home just yet, but uh, tell the folks where they can find you online. Yeah, I uh, so DCU fan fam is my Twitter, and then besides comics, I also paint miniatures for uh, board games. Is my other hobby. Is oh, cool. 
you go on Instagram, uh, Four Steps Painting is my Instagram, and you can see the models that I painted. Your Four Steps Painting. I I, that's where that. I saw you for the first time. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's great. Now, now uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, with me and discuss anything we discussed here today or anything ever, uh, <laughs> I'm lonely. You can reach out. I'm at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. We've got a Patreon now. You can check that out. Maybe toss a few bucks our way. Patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. You can follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Cosmic T-Mill. Same handle on Twitter, Cosmic T-Mill. You can find Reggie there at Reggie Reggie. And I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out the archives over at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com where you can find all of our show notes, our links, our images. Going to maybe start working on some transcriptions pretty soon. Uh, also, our uh, – what's that word I'm trying to think of here? Where everything's in a certain order. You, ha- you can listen to all the shows in the order they're meant to be listened to, which you really can't do anywhere else. Uh, you can also check out the site that this show is named after at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Got about uh, 1,050 uh, different DC Comics reviews there, doing one a day since the end of January 2016. Uh, Now, if you have a book from that blog you'd like me to discuss, or if there's a book you'd like to discuss with me, drop me a line. We'll see what we can work out. I want to thank you all for visiting with me. I had a great time, and uh, so long for now. See ya. Goodbye.